This is episode 38 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the Danicola Center for Ethics and Culture. Welcome to episode 38 of Ethics and Culture Cast from Notre Dame's Danicola Center for Ethics and Culture. I'm Ken Hellenius, the communications specialist at the center. In this episode, we sit down with J.J. Wright, director of the Notre Dame Folk Choir and composer of the new album, Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. We talk about his path to Notre Dame, the process of composing, and how liturgical music ministry is more than just picking songs to sing on Sundays. Let's pop into the Marion Short Ethics Library for this week's conversation. Well, J.J. Wright, thank you very much for coming to be with us today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, what did you do before you came to Notre Dame? So I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Um, I went to grade school and high school there. And after high school, I went to Indiana University, Bloomington, for one year uh, sure. to study jazz piano. Okay. And um, found that school wasn't quite for me at that point. And so I um, left school, and I actually went out onto a cruise ship. Uh, for six months to play in the the show band, wow, um, which was a wild experience, but um, but really fun and really great experience. And um, when I got off the ship, I um, heard from a friend that um, you could actually play music in the military, and so I um, I went and auditioned for the Naval Academy Band in Annapolis and got that job and um, joined the Navy in May of two thousand five. Wow! So yeah. So for you, the uh, the sea was was your life. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I actually never went out on a boat when I was in the Navy, which is kind of embarrassing. But <laughs> that's awesome. I read in an interview with you that you had, as member of the Navy band, you played for presidents and and all sorts of. I did. Like yeah, we played for um, George W. Bush mm-hmm. um, right at the end of his presidency, and then right at the beginning of Barack Obama's presidency, we played for him. So. Right. It was kind of cool because a big part of my job was to play jazz piano. So I would play at the superintendent's house a couple times a week almost. And he was always hosting, you know, like the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Secretary of State. And so it was kind of cool. You know, I didn't really get to hang out with them. But right. just to be in the same room with them was kind of yeah. fun. Well, that's awesome. Well, now you left that behind and you decided to pursue sacred music studies. Yeah. You know, I... Um, my wife and I actually got married right when I got out of the Navy, um, and I wanted to finish my undergrad degree. So I, um, we moved to New York City right after we got married, and I went to the new school for jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was for about three years, and we had our first two children there in New York City and lived in a one-bedroom apartment. Oh, my. And, um, uh, but it was there where I really started to get involved more um, actively in church music. Um, so I grew up Catholic and... Um, had always kind of been playing in church since the time I was a teenager, but um, was never like a proper music director. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a crazy happening. But um, I got connected with this pastor up in Mount Vernon, which is just north of the city. And um, within a week, I got this job. Wow. And all of a sudden, I was, you know, every Sunday I was on for five masses. And so um, I was loving it. You know, my background is as a Catholic and, and you know, I could play the piano and all of a sudden, I was playing the organ every week and picking the hymns and working with the pastor and the cantors yeah. and the choir. And um, as as I started to progress through that, I started to realize that I 
really wanted to know more about church music because I didn't feel like I had the tools to to really do it well. Mm-hmm. And um, this is all while I'm studying jazz, of course, at the new school. And so um, kind of by happenstance, I, um, I saw an article in Notre Dame magazine about the sacred music program here at Notre Dame and um, just kind of got curious. I came out to visit. And it was a total long shot when I was applying for grad school because I applied to all schools for jazz um, and then to Notre Dame for sacred music and <laughs> um, got in here and came here and ultimately did my master's and doctorate here at Notre Dame. Wow. So it was baptism by fire because, I mean, you were actually doing the, the ministry, but then, like you say, uh, you wanted to know more about the kind of the both the theoretical and the and really the theological aspects in a way. Absolutely. Like it. It was. It's a really cool way to get into it. And I, I, throughout my life, I've kind of found my way getting into things that way. You know, kind of yeah. getting in by doing, and then going back after um, to to fill in the holes, but to really know exactly what I want to study. You know, the same kind of thing happened when I was in the Navy. When I I went back to study jazz after, and I really got to dig in. And then um, all the while, I was working in the church in New York, and then being able to come to Notre Dame and just fill in all those holes was such a great experience. Sure. Where does your love from jazz, your love for jazz come from? I don't know. You know, it's <laughs> it's something I've been, I, I've asked myself a lot um, because in the past couple of years as the director of the folk choir, we, um, we focused a lot actually on African-American music. And mm-hmm. of course, this is a music that I, I love and have studied passionately. You know, when I was a teenager, I, that is when I first started getting into jazz and I, I played in the jazz band in high school and and started taking jazz piano lessons. and um, But I remember when I first heard jazz, I, I thought it sounded terrible. And no joke. Like, I just, I, I remember sitting in my car and listening to this recording. It was um, Cannonball Adderley playing Straight No Chaser. And um, I can still remember being in the car and just, like, being confounded by what I was hearing. It was like, this is so cool, and I don't understand how the, any of this is happening, but they all know where they are, and they're improvising, and... Um, and from there, it just like ignited this passion for me to like really understand what was going on there. Um, and so it's been fun the past couple of years working with the full choir, like really revisiting how I first got into it and understanding like how um, something, of course, that came out of the African-American tradition has formed me so integrally. Yeah. Wow. Well, now your new album, Vespers for the Immaculate Conception, is a project you've been working on for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a bit about the inspiration for this particular work. Yeah, so the first iteration of this piece um, came about while I was doing my doctorate here at Notre Dame. Uh-huh. And um, when I first got to Notre Dame, I sort of had this idea that I was leaving jazz, right? Mm-hmm. So like I I was like, okay, now I'm going to go study church music and, and get my proper education. And, yeah. and so from there, I, um, when, I, when I got here to Notre Dame, I was in a course in the first semester on liturgical prayer. And the professor, um, she was like, hey, you know, your, your background's in jazz, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, all right, well, your project for the semester is to compose a jazz vespers. And I was like, I don't know how to do that, you know, like, um, but she was like, I can help you, you know, let's just, you know, we'll meet every week and we'll kind of just talk through it and see how these two things might overlap. And, um, and so I ended up creating this sort of, uh, congregational service for the Feast of the Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. And that was really my first, um, experience of, um, melding jazz and sacred music. Um, so that really led me to consider more seriously how I could, 
um, do this in other ways. Um, so when I was getting ready for this recital as part of my doctorate, um, I had the opportunity to compose um, while I was doing musicological research on the Italian Baroque. And so part of the, the aim for that concert was to really dig deep into a particular time in the, the history of sacred music and do some hard-hitting research, do some transcriptions of the original editions, and then figure out you know, a, a good way to program that on a concert. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so as I'm doing these transcriptions of uh, Carissimi and Charpentier from the 17th century, I'm, uh, it's kind of like filling me with all these ideas that I want to be able to say with my own composition. And so this piece just started to like go from a really broad idea into something very specific by um, you know, incorporating the Gregorian chant invitatory from, from Vespers and then going into a hymn from Carissimi um, that I was able to transcribe and then um, really taking that into my own composition to tell the story that is present in the Vespers for the feast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and this piece, as you've kind of alluded, is similar to some of your previous works like that, uh, Vespers for the Transfiguration and, and your best-selling O Emmanuel, mm-hmm. um, which they all start with these psalms and prayers that are found in the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, as somebody who's prayed the breviary since college and absolutely love it, I found this particular work to be really amazing because it takes these familiar phrases and, you know, from the prayers and from the Psalms and presents them in a, in a new way that is kind of contemplative. Um, and yet it, it's that verve, that, that drive of jazz, mm-hmm. which I think kind of echoes what, what you're talking about. Jazz, you know, a jazz musician knows where they are in the, the music itself, mm-hmm. but is presenting it in a fresh way. Yeah out of order right. in, in some ways, you know, and, and kind of riffing on that. Um, yeah, and in the moment. And know, in the and, moment, yeah. right. Um, you refer to this uh, particular work and, and some of your others as concertized Vespers service. Mm-hmm. That's actually drawing upon a um, kind of a well-established musical tradition. Yes. Uh, so tell us a bit about kind of th- this idea of a concert. Yeah, yeah. So the um, the best example of a concertized um Vespers service, like in the tradition of sacred music, is Monteverdi's Vespers of 1610. Mm -hmm. Um, And that piece uh, really became a huge inspiration for me because when you see that piece, like you see all these different elements that Monteverdi was, you know, had his foot dipped into. And he, you know, so you you have kind of like this little brass band on one side, and then you have the choir and soloists. um, And then you have like this whole basso continuo section, which in my mind is you know, identical really to the way a rhythm section functions in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this, this idea of a concertized Vespers service um, speaks to the fact that it is a concert. And so it's, um, you know, we're being presented with the music and listening to it and being invited to meditate uh, on the text through the sounds of the music. But at the same time, um, it is actually Vespers also. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it's a really interesting way to um, invite people more um, deeply into sacred music just because, um, like you're saying, like when, when you pray Vespers, you, you know, you spend so much time with each line, right, if, if you yeah. do it over and over. And um, one of the cool things about getting the opportunity to compose to these texts is that it is kind of like Lexio Divina out loud, right? Yeah, like yeah. I, you know, I'll sit there. The, the actual process of composing is, 
kind of boring, right? Like I, I sit there with the text and I read them over and over and over again. And I'm sort of, while I'm reading them, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that God will kind of inspire me with some idea about how to um, illuminate what's inside the text with the music that I can write. Yeah. Uh, so. That's, that is an amazing kind of reflection because, yeah, the, the repetition of reading and then the, you know, moving towards contemplation, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, having spent time as a Dominican, then giving to others the fruits of your contemplation is basically writing the notes and then performing Absolutely. it and, and having it performed. Is there, with a piece like this, is there a straight liturgical setting where this can be used as well? Uh, well, I think that's up for debate. Okay, okay. <laughs> some people... Um, some people I've talked to are are kind of like, yeah, this is this is a vespers. This this would be like praying vespers. Some people are like, well, it's out of order, and yeah. you know, it's uh, it's more of like a maybe like a devotional idea based on vespers. Um, when I think about it, it's really um, it's like what I just said. I mean, I'm I'm using the form of vespers to. Um, which you know is a is a beautifully well established form and has been established over hundreds of years, yeah. and um, and I'm using that to inspire new ways for me to be able to think about sacred music. So, yeah. I guess the the jury's out. <laughs> now this is going to be performed as a uh, as a concert, but in a sacred setting. Mm-hmm. So you've got a concert coming up on December fifth. Yes, where this will be. Will this be the premiere essentially? Yeah, yeah this is like the the CD release. Um, it will be at St. Patrick's Cathedral, which um, St. Patrick's Cathedral is is a place that's very dear to me. I, I had the opportunity to intern there when I was a student at the New School. Yeah, and um, and formed a, a good friendship with their music director Jenny Pasquale, and um, we've just stayed in touch over the years. And when this project was was taking shape on recording. Um, I just kind of reached out to her and said, you know, I, we really need a choir for this piece. Do you think the Do you think your choir might want to sing on it? And all the pieces came together, and and we were able to have their choir on the on the album. And then um, she was kind enough to invite us to to present the whole work at St. Pat's. Um, not exactly on the feast, but right before. Right, so it's right. it'll be on people's minds at least. Wonderful. And of course, I mean, it's the patronal feast of the United States of America. Right. So, I mean, you're also doing something uh, in a way patriotic. Yeah, as right. Well. So it's kind of fun. Wonderful. Well, now you've made reference to a couple times your day job mm-hmm. is to serve as the director of the Notre Dame Folk Choir. Uh, you recently led the choir uh, on a tour of East Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and earlier this month here in, in October, you uh, presented the 26th annual concert for the missions, as well as then, of course, the day-to-day music ministry that adds so richly to our campus liturgical life. So tell us about working with the choir. Yeah. So working with the choir has been incredible. This is my third year working with them. And um like you said, the our main ministry is to sing at the 1145 Mass at the Basilica every week. And so that's kind of the meat and potatoes of what we do every week. And um, But because of the infrastructure that the folk choir has, we've been able to, to really embark on these really incredible and transformative projects alongside our main ministry. And they've, they've mutually enhanced each other. So um, as you said, we, we had the opportunity to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Cross missions in East Africa. And so we went to Uganda, Kenya, and Tanzania, and um, six or seven different sites all through there. And um, it's been such a cool opportunity to um, to think about Catholic identity, I think, because um, to really be able to go and celebrate and worship with 
our brothers and sisters in faith, but who come from a completely different tradition, um, it was just so enriching. And so um, getting the students into this mindset and all of us working together to, to really understand, um, you know, really different cultural iterations of, of our faith that are equally beautiful and equally meaningful um, has just been awesome. Yeah. How many members of the choir went with you on that? We had 50 people on the trip. Wow. So we were in a high school bus kind of <laughs> driving through dirt roads um, all through East Africa for about three weeks. Wow. Wow. How has your ministry changed, you know, having done, uh, you know, been a kind of choir director before your formal studies, and now here you are, Dr. J.J. Wright, mm-hmm. directing a choir. How, yeah. how has your own ministry changed? Uh, it's changed drastically, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. I mean, I mean, uh, so much of um, our ministry now in the full choir is really thinking about how to get the students actively engaged in their faith, mm-hmm. not just for themselves, not just so that they go to Mass and pray and lead worship, but so that... Um, so that through our, our formation and worship, they kind of break open um, the church and, you know, really evangelize the campus. And so that's kind of been our, our underlying um, process over the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, to, to be able to undertake this, this trip to East Africa and to, to explore African-American music um, has taken a lot of hands. You know, we... Uh, in preparation for the trip, we did a, uh, a course through um, the Kellogg Institute, and everyone who went on the trip had to take the course. And it was, um, you know, every couple weeks we were bringing in visiting professors who who all um, spoke to us, you know, about some of the things that we were going to encounter in East Africa. So obviously poverty is, is a big thing. Um, discomfort is a big thing because the standard of living is different. Um, understanding the political climate, the cultural climate, the religious climate. Um, so these were all things that we were really reflecting on as a group for at least six months before we went. And I really think that enriched the trip and helped us to um, be more in the moment while we were on the trip yeah. um, and to to understand that, you know, we weren't really we're, – we're not going to – to save anybody, right? Like we hope uh, we, we frame the trip as a pilgrimage and our hope was really to, um, to meet God in these holy places. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, as a Holy Cross institution, um, we understand that, that these are holy places, that this is the church that we're getting to go visit. And how can, how can we, um, bring all of our gifts to the table and learn to share with each other in this way so that we can um, we can all kind of grow together in faith. Wow. It's and it's I mean, imagine that you were doing this this formation in the context of a liturgical choir. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Know? And yet it's human formation and and the encounter that, right. that moment of encounter. Wow. And so that's that, that's a great way to actually summarize your your question, which is how has my ministry changed? It's it's really um kind of taken on this broader sense in which it's so important that we care for each other. And it's so important that we, we care for our brothers and sisters in the church and and outside of the church. And, um, when I was a younger musician that, you know, I kind of just had my eye on the music Yeah. and there's so much that goes into the way that we ultimately express this music. The, the music is really the expression of our faith, but the music itself is, or the music is not our faith itself. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, now, what are you working on composing now? What's so, next? Yeah. <laughs> um, so right now, um, we are 
I'm composing a new passion setting. Um, And that passion will actually be premiered on April 3rd in the Basilica. And this passion is a collaboration between the Notre Dame Children's Choir, Mm -hmm. um, so the chamber choir, which is ages 11 to 14, and the folk choir. And um, this passion is particularly interesting because we are um, really exploring the ways that the um, sex abuse crisis has shaped the church Mm -hmm. and um, looking at the ways that by digging into the passion and understanding kind of our, um, like the emblem of Christ's suffering, we might be able to get a, a better lens or understanding of um, how we can live into this sex abuse crisis and, and really kind of uh, walk with the church through it. Wow. Part of the this year's forum kind of topic as well. Yeah, right? yeah. And that's definitely, uh, that that became part of the motivation. And, sure. um, you know, I think the sex abuse crisis is such a difficult issue. Yeah. And it's one of these things that's incredibly difficult to talk about. Mm-hmm. And um, part of our, our work around this project, uh, to get back to your last question, is to think about the, the ministerial elements that need to be present in order for, uh, in order for the music to ultimately be an expression of our faith. And so our work in the lead up to the performance itself is um, is building these small groups um, in each of our sort of stakeholder communities. And so the one in the folk choir has already begun and um, and we get together weekly and um, we have the, the text for the passion and we kind of just talk about what the experience is like of being a Catholic in a church where the sex abuse crisis, you know, we're, we're kind of just fully understanding the full extent of it and and especially for young students who we hope will become the future leaders of the church we we want i at least i i want them to be fluent in this and i want to be fluent in this because Mm -hmm. this is one of the you know the biggest issues i think of our time and it's not going away anytime soon yeah you know and it's and and to be able to talk about it thoughtfully and especially to be able to think it through in the context of faith and through the light of faith right through uh, in the passion, we get to see suffering embodied. We get to see betrayal embodied and corruption and deception and all of these kind of same ideas that we're talking through. And uh, by looking at the passion, we we get to see that Jesus already did all this stuff, yeah. right? And we have this beautiful example um, of, of the gospel itself that that can teach us if we can if we can sort of unify our hearts and minds to to the passion, we can have a sense of place uh, in spite of all of the evil in the world. Yeah. Wow. Well, J.J. Wright, thank you so much for coming to be with us, and congratulations on the new album. Thank you. And, uh, and we look forward to, to uh, hearing the passion. Great. Thank well. you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you to J.J. Wright. You will find links to his new album, Vespers for the Immaculate Conception, and to his previous albums, as well as a link to the Folk Choir's YouTube channel in the show notes. Subscribe to Ethics and Culture Cast so that you can always get the latest episodes by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu slash podcast. We would love your feedback. Please review the show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and email your suggestions to cecpodcast at nd.edu. Our theme music is I Don't Know by Grapes, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We'll see you next time on Ethics and Culture Cast. Until then, make good decisions. Good decisions.